You've just tuned into Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Welcome back to Beyond Your Past, the podcast that focuses on inspiring you to move forward from what's been holding you back in life. Each week, we talk with clinicians, coaches, mental health advocates, and those who've overcome tremendous odds and now use their journey to encourage you throughout yours. I'm Matt Pappas, Certified Coach and NLP Master Practitioner, alongside Joanne Suppressi, Author, Certified Coach, and Hypnotherapist. In addition to talking with amazing guests on the show, we share practical tips and insightful strategies that empower and encourage you to break free from anxiety, self-doubt, and the negative mindsets that keep you stuck. This is your place to feel validated and encouraged as you take your life back and live free from your past. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. And before we get started with this week's episode, I want to take just a second to give a big shout out to our incredible sponsors, inlpcenter.org, offering world-class online neuro-linguistic programming and life coach training to people in over 70 countries. I'm honored to be able to receive my certifications from INLP Center and utilize their research and incredible training programs and to daily recovery support, interactive daily group calls and a safe atmosphere for survivors of complex trauma, equipping you with the skills and information you can use every single day in your healing journey. Learn more about this affordable resource and get signed up at cptsdfoundation.org. We are so grateful to have these two incredible organizations here with us on the podcast. They believe in what we're doing here, and we encourage you to check out their programs and see how you can get involved. So today I'm flying solo on the podcast, as this episode is one of the final pre-recorded shows before Joanne came on board as my co-host. I'm honored to welcome back returning guest and friend, Venny Koshis, as we continue our chat on how childhood trauma affects survivors during not only their younger years, but also as they grow into adults. Venny has joined me for two previous shows, which I'll link in the show notes so you can check them out. She is an author, artist, poet, and survivor of childhood trauma, including sexual abuse and cult abuse. She is passionate about not only her own ongoing healing journey, but also in helping others to begin to find their voice in whatever way feels authentic to them. We're talking today in the first of a two-part series on the physiology of childhood trauma, how it affects not only our mental health, but our physical health in particular, especially in terms of the places we carry trauma in our bodies, how we remember and process memories, how it affects our nervous system, our brain, and so many other areas. Venny has done significant research on this topic, and I'm sure you'll find her insight both validating and informative as she shares. So let's join that chat with survivor, artist, poet, and returning guest Venny Koshis, starting right now. So hey, Venny, welcome back to Beyond Your Past. It's so great to talk to you again. How are you? I'm doing so well. I'm so happy to be here with you. I always really enjoy talking with you, Matt. I know. I know. I enjoy having you on the show. You and I have been friends on social media for years now. We've done uh, a couple of podcasts previously. We've been emailing. I, of course, follow you on social media. And um, I always enjoy bringing you on the show here because we have some really in-depth, candid, honest discussions. And this one will be no different. But before we get into that, for those who maybe um, have not heard previous episodes, which I will link in the show notes, go ahead and take a minute and say hello and introduce yourself to everybody. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Venny Koshis, and I can be found at my website, which is vennykoshis.com. I will spell that for you. That's V-E-N-N-I-E, 
K-O-C-S-I-S.com. I'm the author of Cult Child. I am a survivor of a very abusive cult, Sam Five Smooth of God. And I am a poly abuse survivor. I suffered physical, mental, and sexual abuse as a child. And I've talked with you, Matt, about many of those byproducts. The last show we did, we, we talked about food addiction. And, and this time, I really hope to get in deeply into the physiology of sexual abuse. So that's what I'm very focused in on studying right now and understanding and trying to get to the root of what that does to our bodies. I think it's um, an amazing topic. And, you know, yeah, it's it's something that you and I have talked about um, somewhat before, although we haven't really gone in depth. So that's what we're going to do on this episode. And uh, you'll also be back here with me again in a few more weeks to record yeah. part two of this. Um, so, of course, once we have both of those uh, recorded, I'll make sure they're all linked together. But this first one, as you mentioned, we're going to talk about the physiology. Um, I always like to put um, a trigger warning up whenever we discuss this, just yeah. so everybody knows, you know, if you're listening in the car or, you know, around other people, maybe you want to put headphones in or pause it and come back later, or, you know, just also to make sure to take care of yourself in case this, um, you know, makes you feel triggered at all, or, or you know, any, or it can, brings up any memories, be sure to take extra care of yourself, you know, do self-care. And um, yeah, so, cause this stuff is, it's important to talk about as we're going to get into here, but it, all, it can be very difficult. So we want to make sure everybody is as safe and comfortable as possible, but I'm going to turn the mic over to you here. And we're going to talk about the physiology, as you mentioned, and kind of dive into this a little bit. So the mic is yours, my friend. Oh, awesome. And I just want to remind everyone, you know, remember that as horrible as our child childhood was, it's not happening to us now. And the more that we look at these things, at least for me, I don't like to speak in absolutes ever. I can only speak for myself. That the more that I study and understand it, the less effect and the less triggered that I am. Um, all abuse is damaging, incredibly damaging to a child. Uh, yet in, in my own journey and conversations that I've had for years now with other sexual abuse survivors specifically, okay, I've, I've found that the abuse that shatters us the deepest is the sexual abuse. So you have shatters from emotional abuse and shatters from physical abuse. And you add in that sexual abuse and it's a topic I'm very passionate about. Um, and I want to move into talking really openly about the intimate and really often like shameful effects that sex abuse has. And I believe the root of that shame and the shattering that it does starts with understanding the physiology of sex abuse. So what is physiology? What does that mean? How does it develop? Okay, first, I'm, I'm not a scientist. I'm an investigator of these topics that interest me. So I just want everyone to understand that what I share is from my own study of thesis written by scientists. I've studied scientific work on DNA. I have uh, spent time at places like uh, work being done at the Hudson Alpha Institute for Biotechnology. They have a great YouTube channel with free classes by Dr. Neil Lamb, who is completely engaging and wonderful. But these classes 
they will help anyone understand the basics of how a human body operates on a molecular level. So for me, being introduced to this science, it's been life-changing already. And I plan to dive in so much deeper in the near future. I'm really hyper-focused on the physiology of sexual abuse. And so let me talk a little bit more about what physiology is. So physiology refers to the way that a living organism develops. Um, an example would be trees. For instance, they're governed by their environment and the earth that they're seated into. So the physiology in humans includes the development of our DNA at birth and the normal bacteria that helps strengthen our body. So we're all born with necessary bacteria, which, you know, is altered um, in small things like vaginal versus C-section births or like breastfeeding versus bottle feeding. But these small little differences, um, they tend to balance themselves out at around three years of age. If a child has a positive environment, um, is acclimated into the family in a healthy way. So when I say healthy, I mean they're fed good food. Um, they're given love, encouragement, a non-chaotic environment. So their physiology is controlled by everything in a living organism's emotional and physical environmental exposure. Um, I think the emotional part may still be considered a little bit of an edge science, but I see in the horizon um, this great connection between mind sciences and physical sciences. And I'm most interested in the mind science of sexual abuse and the effect that it has on the development and the physicality of a child. I wanted to pause in case you had anything you wanted to say or, or ask. No, so far you are sharing so much amazing info. And I, I just love that you're doing this research um, because, you know, and what you mentioned uh, before you got started about as horrific and traumatic as all this type of abuse is, when you understand it, you know, as you mentioned here, like the physiology of it, whenever you kind of investigate it a little bit, when you're in a point of your journey of being able to do that, because, you know, obviously that's not something you can probably do early on or when you're first, you know, learning about the abuse and trying to work through with a therapist or something. But when you get to a point to where you're a bit more perhaps stable or, you know, having a desire to understand what happened more, when you can kind of investigate it and expose it for what it is, it doesn't feel quite as, I'm going to say, difficult or whenever you can get something out of your emotional mind and out of your head, it doesn't seem quite so scary anymore. And this is like a similar thing here. When you start to learn about it and figure out what's really going on, you kind of get empowered because you learn what your, you know, the changes in your body, the changes in your mind, the changes of how long, you know, things take to heal from it and, and what your journey looks like. And then taking these situations and trying to turn them into something where you can learn from it and learn more about yourself, I think is always good. But again, it depends on when you are ready to, to kind of get to that point of your journey. So I love what you're sharing. So please keep going. And I will just kind of uh, chime in here and there. Cool. Okay. I think you really hit on something as far as therapists. Um, you know, I have a therapist that I've been with for many years and they 
communicate with my doctor and have even suggested, you know, certain medications at certain times in my life. I think that is crucial that there be a handholding between those who do work in these mind scientists and sciences, excuse me, and, and, and physical doctors. Um, and I do see an advancement there. That's so important. Um, I was thinking today, you know, about our genital area. So this is where topics may get sensitive for people and a little bit raw, but I speak from experience and I'm not ashamed to talk about it. And it needs to be talked about because there's so many signs of sexual abuse in children that aren't being paid attention to. Uh, one of them is genital tingling. Boys have it and girls have it. Um, a sign may be that you see a young child, five, six years old, they're constantly scratching themselves. Well, if they don't have a rash and there's no physical issue going on, the physiology should be looked at. What What is causing those nerve endings to be so hyperactive? So our genital area, it's, it's almost, to me, the center of our soul, right? It, it's our most sacred space. It's where life is created from. It's not a gendered thing. We all create life unless we have a physical situation that prevents us from doing that from this area of our body. And so to have this space violated, especially like as an infant and young children, it damages the environment that this physiology is developing in for the rest of its life. So I want to know, how can we change that? I want to examine, you know, first, what are those changes? How does it begin? And what kind of science can we use to increase the, the healing in this physiology? Um, so I think there's, of course, different types of child rape. Um, there's grooming, where a child is maybe taught that what's being done to them is normal, or that it's a special secret. Um, sometimes even gifts are exchanged. I wrote about this in depth in, in my book, Cult Child, where one sexual abuser gave me cookies, which was a really big deal to me because I didn't get sweets. So it should not be discounted that a child absolutely does also have the ability to reason some things. Um, they just aren't able to express it. Um, they know something makes them feel uncomfortable, uh, but they don't know how to say, this makes me feel uncomfortable because no one has taught them that they have the right or even given them the language to use. Um, violent molestation is allegedly not as common. And that's because molesters, they get a high from control and manipulation. So the whole process of coercion is the game for them. And I wrote another situation in my book where a teenage boy held me by my throat against a wall and sexually assaulted me. And I was around eight years old. And this was definitely violent. I was in fear. He even mocked me for crying. So violent sexual molestation, it includes emotional violence as well. If the child's mocked or retaliated against for expressing they don't like what is being done to them, 
if their lives are threatened or the lives of the ones they love, there's so much other type of violence that happens in that. And it's, it's difficult, I think, for some people to understand the magnitude of fear and self-hate, which builds in a child who's being sexually abused. It's why many child prosecutors will say that oftentimes a child is silent. They may not cry. They may not scream. They may literally lay there in a dissociated silence, unable to express the pain that they're dealing with. So everything which happens to a child before the age of three is going to to chart its development from the way it's brought into the world, um, the food that it's given, its environment, interaction, any safe feelings that they need to stay balanced. So imagine what is happening to the physiology of an infant being molested. Everything in their little body's physiology is being consistently traumatized and manipulated. So from day one, they don't have the opportunity to develop in any type of healthy environment. By the time this child is three, three main things have happened to them. They're talking. So now they can a little bit understand and verbalize. They're potty trained and they're wiping their own genitals or asking other adults to help them. And they're eating the same food as the adults they live with and are around. So if you really think about this, by three years old, a child is by nature living as an adult. And a molester will oftentimes start to change their um, tactics when a child gets to the age of three years old. So I'll pause again, just in case you want to interject here. You were um, talking about the um, dissociative state and I, and as you were talking, I've been, you know, kind of just <clears throat> going through some memories in my own mind, which I fully expected would happen during our chat. And I, I can remember when I was, uh, when I first started talking about this with, uh, a therapist and and I first learned what dissociation was and how I dissociated during that time and I went to that that time in my head and I sat there didn't talk very stoic and I, I mean now this was not you know all that many years ago when I was talking about this and you know with a therapist and I can remember the memories in my head and you know telling her this is what it felt like and this is what I you know this is how I saw myself from across the room and and all these things and then she was explaining what um dissociation was and and of course that everything kind of clicked but as you were talking about you know children who who experience abuse oftentimes if they are asked to talk about it perhaps in a therapy session or and then the child's just like I can't talk I can't move I can't think and it just it, it's paralyzing and for as much as dissociation as an adult um, can kind of be a pain. Sometimes I am eternally grateful for not being fully present during those traumatic events when I was between five and 10, because I'm not sure I would be here today if I was. Yes, I have, I have gaps between the ages of three and seven. I actually have quite clear memories before my mother was recruited into this cult. 
And I often thought, oh, there's more memories. There's more things. You know, I was very hyper-focused on those gaps. I need to dig in there and get in there. And I learned through therapy that a lot of times those long periods of gaps is literally as in a dissociative state day in and day Mm -hmm. out. We're moving robotically. The same abuse is happening to us and around us. And we're literally just little robots getting through. And that helped me not be so focused on those gaps, like realizing, okay, I have dug out probably the worst of it. Um, I think too that, you know, even school therapists need to be trained on, on all these little signals and maybe they are, and I'm just not as educated with what they're educated on, but the smallest things like a child's pupils of their eyes, you know, when a child dissociates, our eyes go black. I mean, I have very clear memory of my eyes and looking at my eyes because what brings that brilliance and that color is our spirit and our energy returning to us and the healing that's happening inside of ourselves. So I can look at photos of myself even through high school where my eyes look almost brown, dark brown, and they're not, they're bright green. And I've looked at picture progressions of my eyes and where they look now that I'm in this healed state. They're very bright and brilliant. My pupils are generally smaller and you can really, really see the the brilliant color of my eyes. Um, also, you know, inside those ca- those gaps, a child, they, they don't understand what's happening. Um, no one, you, of course, educates them. People think, oh, because a child is molested, they know about sex. Not true. There is no body awareness education that happens in molestation. It is just, I'm going to do this. This is why I'm going to give you this. This is our little secret. And that's it. It's, it's, there's no gray areas in it. Um, it's just being done to you. It's very different than sitting a child down and saying, this is your vagina. This is your penis. It belongs to you. No one should touch it. No one should touch you or your body. If you feel uncomfortable, it's okay to say no. So a child that gets molested gets none of that. No definition for their parts aside from what their molester calls it which is often, you know, very vile in ways none of us really want to be spoken to as adults. Um, their age and absence of any knowledge about their body, it, it, it doesn't allow them to connect, right? Infants connect with their body through being held and swaddled and, and soothed touch and, you know, being bathed and give lotion baths and saying to and all those things that allow their spirits and their physiology of their bodies to develop in a healthy way. So kids have an inability to connect like body sensation with male expression. Um, For instance, um, they can't express pain and say something like that hurts. They don't possibly have that language. They're just aware and we're aware that this causes discomfort. It hurts. Uh, We're never taught to say we don't like something. We just know we don't like it. I I knew at four years old um, that I didn't like going with Brother Wassel for story time. But nothing about that was particularly violent. He was sitting me on his lap 
and literally releasing himself as he read me a child's story. And I wrote in my book that I wished that he would take off that stupid belt buckle because it kept hurting me when I sat on his lap. So you see, I could only, and children can only define what they see and know, you know, oh, I saw this person wore belt buckles. That must be what it is. Another reason why young children at three, four, and five can't necessarily express what's being done to them because they literally don't have the language. Uh, I love that dolls are used and they can point and silently show certain things so that they don't have to struggle for that language. Um, I just knew that something made me uncomfortable. I just didn't know what it was. I couldn't define it. No one taught me genital identification. So I could not have ever expressed that discomfort, including being in an environment that did not allow children to express anything at all. Um, that was based on a theology of children being seen and not heard. Um, I thought his heavy breathing was because he was overweight. So a child's mind reasons things, but reasons it in a very different way. And it's important that people remember that pedophiles are smart and they are cunning. And the act of pedophilia is a game of predator and prey. They literally have rings that they communicate, laugh about talk to each other about. An article recently came out of two men who were um, caught texting. Uh, a mother who was addicted and did not attend to her three-year-old, and they were literally joking about how easy it was and how this mother allowed anyone to be around their child. Um, I don't judge that. I think we need to look at the mental health of that and, and, and that this mother doesn't know how to parent. I think there's a lot of healing that can happen if money and programs get funneled into the right place. But pedophiles are narcissistic individuals. They know the biology of children. They study the biology of children. And they literally feed off of their reactions or their non-reactions, which is usually them being frozen in fear, like you said. Um, there's some edgy but really interesting studies of uh, adrenochrome harvesting and feeding. And this is complete ed science. We're talking here even maybe borderlining on conspiracy theory. But when I think of my own childhood and that I was molested by multiple people, both male and female, and the states of fear that I was put in, um, the study is in the least very interesting to me. So it delves into the kidney function of the body. And I can tell you that when I was uh, working through trauma, my kidneys dropped so much um, uh, because our adrenal glands sit on top of our kidneys. So when the body is in fear of pain, the adrenals, they secrete adrenaline and prepare our body for that fight and flight mode. And these studies go into a really controversial discussion about pedophiles who even harvest this through the blood of a child, hooking up an IV to each other, putting the child in fear or pain or both. 
in order to literally harvest the adrenaline through blood transfusions. Again, I really need to reiterate so that there's not this big fear thing that this is an ed study. But I did say to myself, hmm, someone came up with that. Someone actually thought of that. And that made it a little bit interesting to me. And the study of adrenochrome is an actual scientific study. I really encourage people to study it and study why mind control is so rampant and why people are held in fear states and who's feeding off of that. Where is that fear going? Because it does create an energy collectively, our collective consciousness. If our adrenal glands are constantly ready to fight, also what where and tear is that putting on our kidneys, which our body and so one of the really needs biggest to be keys to healing is studying what happened to my physical body, what changed, what 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 would I have been had I been allowed to develop my physiology in a healthy way. Um, another thing I'm very focused on because it's not talked about and it needs to get talked about, and people. You've got to stop turning your heads away. I know this subject is heartbreaking. It's horrific. It is so difficult to look at. But I promise you, the more that you study it and understand it and start to heal and go, hmm, there are some answers to this. And there are. And, and I look forward to talking about those in our second part. Uh, but sodomy. It is rampant in pedophilia, and it is one of the most horrific acts committed on a child. And I think that it's important that people study Akata Aquina. I'm going to spell that for you. It's spelled, it's two words, C-A-U-D-A-E-Q-U-I-N-A. It's the bundle of nerve fibers at the bottom of the spinal cord. A lot of us survivors, what do we deal with? Spine burning. Why is that? It is because our cauda equina stays inflamed and it becomes inflamed with trauma. This is scientific fact. Please, I urge you to study this so you can understand your own body and what's happening to you and why holding this pain and this trauma in your DNA is causing all these physical symptoms like spine burning and fibromyalgias. Um, of course, you know, I do wonder about that. I can tell when I'm in stressful situations, my spine burning will inflame and get just intense. My kidneys will drop. Um, so we need deep scientific study in this arena. I, I just believe from my own journey and my own physical and emotional um, study of myself, there is a massive link between sexual abuse and children being sick a lot, children who have kidney infections beyond kidney infections that, you know, may lead from urinary tract infections or dehydration. I'm interested in understanding the wear and tear that happens to the kidneys and the cauda equina when a child grows up in consistent fear and pain of sexual molestation. It is a physical impairment that has to be linked to that abuse 
And that's where I'm begging sciences, mind sciences and physical sciences to really deeply start to hold hands. And again, I, I look back, I'm really privileged that I got the opportunity to get to know about Hudson Alpha, you know, and the studies that, that this institution, which is privately funded, is doing to try to advance our bodies and our DNA and, and our physicality. And, and, you know, it's a dream that an institution like that and scientists will really do some deep studies working with sexual abuse survivors on ways that we can come up with some cures and some ways to boost that physiology. I know there's some ways, and like I said, we'll, we'll talk about it next time because I think that's a whole other show on its own because I think that healing starts to happen, you know, in, in late teenage years and adulthood. So this is my passion, Matt, is, is helping all of us sex abuse survivors really understand what was done to our bodies when we were brutalized in that way. You and I have only basically, you know, talked, uh, kind of scratched the surface a little bit, but mm -hmm. I think, you know, what we really wanted to, to bring to light in this, in this chat was to just get everyone thinking of the possibility of, you know, if you've not researched this or you've not heard of how, um, the body is affected by trauma long-term and, you know, especially from the, the physical side of it, because the emotional and the mental side of it is obviously well-documented, you know, working with therapists and understanding how the mind is traumatized and, but your, your body as a whole, as you mentioned, so many different aspects of it mm -hmm. until you get to a point where you're able to get all of this out of your head to, to understand it, to, to work through it, to sit with it. And then to develop coping skills, doing your own research and talking with your, with your mental health professional and with your doctor mm -hmm. and having, you know, your own little team of helpers in your corner to help you understand not, not only the physical, but the uh, emotional side of it and the ways that you are affected from decades later. And, you know, for me, like I've said many times, this stuff happened between five and 10. I didn't deal. I largely didn't deal with any of it until I was in my early forties. And so, but when I did, like I said, the light bulb went on and it was just an amazing revelation, obviously a traumatic one, but I chose to look at it as a way of, okay, this makes sense. Now I feel more empowered. How can I work on myself? How can I keep this from ever happening again? How can I help other people? And so I used it as a way to empower myself, but, you know, regardless of how you take it, do the research, talk with your professionals about it and, um, you know, educate yourself because that's uh, really just such a key thing when you're working through your trauma is educate yourself and learn about how it affects your body and your mind. It's really an exciting time to be alive. I mean, people have asked me, oh, if you could do your childhood over again, would you? You know, yeah, probably. And that's just because I'm excited to be alive at a time where many of the educators are experiencers instead of studiers. And, and that's not to discount those who've you know, spent a lot of time studying because I study, so I know the importance of that. However, I think there's an added layer that happens when you're dealing with someone or you're talking with someone who's actually been through childhood sexual abuse or through childhood abuse. They can more stand with you. And I'm excited to be a part of the older adults, although I don't like to throw that <laughs> word in there because I'm still young. You're but, not old, you know, Benny. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm going to be 50 next month. 
but um, <laughs> well, I'm 47, so I'm pretty. But close. I'm really 16. Um, you know, at heart, <laughs> I feel very, very young. But I am excited to be a part of what I hope is uh, paving a way um, for looking at our abuse from a different angle, so that we can break those generational curses. Really, is what they are on on all of us. Um, on many levels. So I appreciate you letting me delve into this topic. I know it's touchy, but I'm here to stand with anyone. Feel free to message me, email me, venny.coches at gmail.com. Let's talk about it. Ask me whatever you want. You know, I'd be happy to share links and studies I've read and, and everything I can for you. Yeah. And I think the generation that you and I grew up in, I think is really key to helping push forward the awareness and the education because of this, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, in this day and age with social media, obviously it's in the, the news a lot more, um, you know, uh, and stuff, but I think for so long, this was taboo. Nobody talked about it. And now our generation, you know, being here in our forties and that we grew up and that we experienced this, I think we can be a real driving force to push this ahead, but now, and then into the future, because the, the science, the research of learning about how the brain works and the body works, and especially in relation to trauma, there are so many books out there, Research just just go on to Google sometime and how is the body affected by trauma or how is the body affected by sexual abuse or how is the mind affected by sexual abuse these these, these types of searches will yield you books and articles and videos and just countless things that really allow you to just kind of dive in at your own pace and and understand what happened to you or maybe somebody in your life that you can be more that you can help. Um, in a new way. So before we go, though, tell everybody where they can get your book again, your website, um, and all that good stuff to uh, connect with you. Oh, great. Okay. Well, so far I've written three books. Uh, Cold Child is my memoir. Um, I'm very proud of this book because I, as I understand, it's one of the first books written in first person from the mind of a child being abused. So reading this book, get ready to really delve into the mind of a child. And I am going to be launching the sequel, which will be ready for pre-order in April. Fingers crossed. I'm writing furiously about my transition from cult life into being a teenager and the effects that growing up abused had on me as a teenager. So. I'm excited about that book. I had a very cynical mind. There's some funny parts and sad parts, some think backs and look backs to stories that I, you know, learned from my brother and sister. Um, and I have a gratitude journal, which I created that really helped me get through writing Cold Child. I have a book of poetry. I have a recorded version of it. And I blog at vennycocious.com. So please connect with me. Come subscribe. You can get my articles straight into your website and updates. And I love connecting with survivors and being a part of growth and healing. Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Information shared on this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should supersede the direction of a medical doctor or any mental health professional. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review. We would sure appreciate it.
Also, please consider sharing this episode with someone who may find it helpful. If you would like more information on working with Matt as your coach, just head over to beyondyourpast.com and schedule your free one-hour chat. If you'd like to learn more about working with Joanne as your coach, please check out joannesuppressi.com and contact her for more information. We're always on the lookout for new guests. If you're interested in joining us on an upcoming episode, just head over to beyondyourpastradio.com and contact us. We'd love to hear from you. Talk to you soon.